0: Welcome back to another episode of Real Relatable. I am your host, Donna Green, coming to you from a brand new space. So the last month and a half or so, I've been in another transition phase in my life. Um, As I told y'all before, after my divorce, I found this town home to rent, which I initially loved. Um, You know, it worked out great because of the immediate availability and my need to have my own space and kind of close that chapter. So fast forward through some not great occurrences all within weeks of each other over the summer. I decided this townhome community and renting was no longer for me. Um, Essentially, it boils down to the safety concerns of the neighborhood and it just it wasn't going to work out. So I spent a good amount of time contemplating what would be my next steps. Idaho was never a place I thought I'd be in the first place. Um, and I would grapple with the idea of being here for too long, uh, wanting my son to grow up in, in a more diverse place. So I couldn't put my finger on where I wanted to go, but all I knew was I wanted to be closer to my family. Um, which is hard to do, you know. Everyone is so spread out. No matter where I chose, I might not be in the right place um, because not everyone's in the same place. So that's from Arizona to California to Illinois to Florida to Georgia. It's just it's so spread out where my family is at. Ultimately, I didn't have one destination that would help me get closer to everyone. In August, I had a bit of a change of heart um, after going to this incredible celebration of Black culture put on by a local organization called Inclusive Idaho. So this organization was um, instrumental in bringing together a vigil back in June. After the murder of George Floyd, to memorialize those taken by state violence and um, the injustice that has happened in our country, even for the Native American community as well. So, while I didn't attend the vigil live, I streamed it on Facebook, uh, but they estimated that there were about 5,000 plus people that attended. Um, at this event at the Capitol. Of course, you know, masks involved, you know, masks were required and, you know, to social distance as best possible, things like that. But it was so incredibly moving. So the parade um, that took place in August, so it it included an ode to these same individuals, these same, um, you know, marginalized communities, as well as uh, incorporating this celebratory feel with music and parading the streets and dancing and just embracing Black culture here. Granted, we were severely outnumbered <laughs> by white people. I mean, you know, we're still in Idaho, but it was so moving and touching to see the support from both of these events in the community come together. As we paraded through the streets of the North End or the Hyde Park area in Boise with music playing and uh, passing people in their houses, passing by bars and restaurants with patrons that joined us in celebration, it, it hit me. I'm in Idaho to help create change and be the change the world needs or the state needs, this area needs. And that's when I decided I would stay here in Idaho and purchasing a home here would be my next move. So since about mid-August, just before Gray's third birthday, is when I started to finalize things with my town home um, to buy out of my lease and I decided to move in with my ex-husband again. Um, it's, you know, not the easiest decision, but when I felt like safety was a concern for where I was and my unease and my unhappiness, I decided that I needed to take steps and take action into my own hands to put myself in a better place um, somewhere that I would be, you know, mentally, Sound and uh, where it would be a safe environment for myself and for my son. So, um, so my ex husband was completely on board knowing that it would be a short period of time. It's not like we have a bad relationship. And, you know, while we're on this topic, can we normalize healthy co-parenting relationships? I feel like that's something that is usually stigmatized that there's this animosity, which obviously does happen. Um, or one parent has the kids more than others, or there's just a mess of things, but It's normal to have a healthy co-parenting relationship, and I would like to normalize that a bit more. Um, People are usually shocked when I share that, that we have a good friendship and, you know, we talk pretty regularly in a platonic way and talk mostly about gray, 50-50 custody, like things are good. And particularly, obviously, when I would maybe disclose, depending on the person, that I was then, you know, living with my ex-husband for a little bit, you know, um, this was a shock. And um, I was kind of looked at like, what? (laughs) Like that would be impossible or like we were getting back together. And that wasn't the case. We're not getting back together, obviously. It was just I needed some support and we really only have each other here to lean on. So anyway, so that was instrumental in my transition also um, out of the townhouse and just having that support. So always appreciate um, you know, being able to lean on my ex-husband in that way, um, and knowing that you know this would be better for all of us, particularly you know with our son as well. So that worked out fantastic. So the home buying process can seem daunting um, because there's a lot that goes into into it, and basically you're signing up for hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, it's a big deal. And I'm not gonna pretend like I'm some real estate guru or know all about the financial world with real estate, but I wanted to share just some insights about my experience, um, if that might help anyone in a transition or who may be thinking about purchasing a home, especially because this is the third time that I've purchased a home, but the first time on my own. So I want to be clear here. Also, there's nothing wrong with renting. For me, after owning two homes, you know, two at separate times, I found it to be empowering to own something um, that continuously appreciated in value. So it gained value, um, particularly based upon the market here in Boise. And and I wanted to own something that I could live in without worry about messing something up in the space or having to deal with a landlord or, you know, having to repaint something that you scuffed or whatever, you know, just things like that that you might typically think about when you're renting is like, don't mess it up because you don't want that taken out of your security deposit or whatever. Not to say that I would want to cause any damage to my own home, but you get what I'm saying here. So this and not being stuffed like sardines in a townhome or apartment, or apartment community was really important to me because that's where I also started to feel a little bit suffocated uh, living in the townhomes and I felt like I needed to get out. Moving to an apartment wasn't going to do it. Um, I could have potentially decided to rent a home, but um, ultimately that's not what I wanted to do. Again, the renting part, I wanted to own. So I wanted to share just a little bit about you know some options, very briefly anyway, about what it means when you purchase a home and what those loans are. Um, so typically, there's that conventional loan that's 15 or 30 years um, with you know whatever interest rate that you can get based upon your credit score and debt-to-income ratio. And with conventional loans, those typically require the down payment of 20% of the home purchase price. So there's also another avenue that you can go through the Federal Housing Administration, an FHA loan. It can have a down payment as low as 3.5 percent, um, and typically these are known for known to be available to people who are maybe first time home buyers, but it's also for people with either low credit scores or low income. Um, FHA loans do also have more stringent requirements for inspections and appraisals, which can. Um, which may not be beneficial to you um, if you're in a housing market that is more in favor of sellers where where people are buying homes like crazy just like here in Boise and the market's really competitive for buyers Um, and sometimes things like that can not necessarily price you out but if you know they see that that's the kind of loan depending on the circumstance of why they're selling that might not be in your favor. Also with FHA loans, these can come with higher interest rates, although there is that advantage of having the lower down payments and lower cash to close, having a higher interest rate might not be in your favor. The pro of getting a conventional loan versus the FHA loan is, you know, with that down payment of 20% is that you don't have to have the same kind of inspection and appraisal requirements as an FHA loan. So with the Federal Housing Administration, you know, they want to make sure that the home that you're purchasing and what um, you're taking out for that home loan is um, is suitable for what the house appraises for. So, for example, let's just say that you have a house that's three hundred thousand um, dollars is what it was listed for. That's what you offered, and that's what was accepted. If that house comes back appraised for, let's just say two seventy five. FHA isn't going to be like okay that's fine like we'll just still give you a loan for $300,000 although the house is worth two seventy five. dollars Also with inspections um, and I I can't get too much into this because just like all of this I mean I don't know everything this is just things that I have learned um, throughout my process and taking this course that my lender recommended to take that hadn't been recommended before. So if, you know, maybe you're buying a an older house that was built in a time where um, those codes are outdated, whether that be for um, maybe like how the water heater is placed um, or maybe the stairs or things like that, like that can be outdated and they're not up to code. A FHA loan or something like that is probably going to be like, uh, maybe not because there's too much risk with it. There's also something I learned about with conventional loans that that tax on a an amount to your monthly payment. So it's called private mortgage insurance. It's a percentage of the loan amount that's used to protect the lender in case you default or don't make your monthly mortgage payments. Um, It's usually applied to the conventional loans that have less than 20% down payment from the buyer, and then once you get to 20% equity equity in the home, you can ask your lender to drop that PMI, or it will drop automatically when you're at 78% um, loan-to-home value. The loan to value can also be based upon payments that are made or the appraisal of the home. So for example, here in Boise, the housing market is booming. So let's say you got a loan that um, has that PMI on there um, and the the PMI can drop off at the 20% um, of equity. So if, it's, so if the way that your loan is set up, it's not strictly based upon the payments that you make, but it can just be based upon your loan, let's say. That three hundred thousand dollar loan again, so um, you have a house that you purchase three hundred thousand dollars. Maybe you have PMI on it. If you don't put the twenty percent down, that PMI can fall off if you know the housing market here in a shorter amount of time. The house appraises at let's just say for easy numbers, three hundred and. right not that your loan is still going to remain at $300,000 over the course of you know two years or whatever because you're paying on it so you're building equity that way based upon the original loan value but if the appraisal you know for the house comes in higher at $360,000. That's also a way that you can show to your lender, hey, you know my loan value, let's just say that it's, this is gonna be off, but let's just say your loan um, is now at 290,000 based upon your payments over the year or two or 280,000. Then you would have um, equity built based upon what you paid, but also the appraisal for the home comes in much higher than the 20% difference Um, of what you would need for the pmi to fall off so that could be an option for you to get that taken off and depending on the total amount of your down payment the pmi can last the entirety of the loan or it can last a certain number of years before it falls off or if you don't reach the loan to value amount to have it it removed sooner So Veterans United, that was the loan servicer that um, my ex-husband and I used the first two homes that we purchased. Uh, you know, husband at the time, obviously. So this is a little bit different um, in terms of the down payment that's required, and then also with appraisal and inspections. So with appraisal and inspection requirements for um, this vet loan, like like FHA. Um, they are a little bit more stringent, but the pro to having a Veterans United, obviously you have to have served in our military and et cetera, but um, to prove that you're eligible for this kind of loan. But you're not required to have a down payment. Um, also, there is no PMI. So if you're down payment, um, if you do make a down payment, is lower than the twenty percent um, to purchase the house. You're not then charged PMI regardless. So whether you do zero down or you know whatever your earnest money, um, the earnest money is kind of like, hey, I would like to purchase your home. This is what I can give you right now to show you that I'm serious. Um, so outside of that, you won't you don't have to pay any more out of pocket. Um, and so in our first two homes with, again, my then husband, this was the loan that we used. Um, so we put down everything we could for that initial earnest money or that you know initial down payment, and we didn't have to worry about anything else. Um, we just needed to make sure that the homes that we were looking to purchase were appraised properly, but then also for the inspection to make sure that items on there that we could ask the buyers to correct or modify um, weren't going to be too extensive that Veterans United would then decline servicing a loan for that kind of home. What also drew me into home purchasing this time around was that interest rates were incredibly low. They still are low right now. And the housing market in Boise just keeps going up. Um, So if I were to wait um, to purchase a home, I might end up pricing myself out of a home that I like or a home that I want. So for our first two homes, um, we the first one we were in for about a year and a half, we didn't do anything to that home. No improvements, like nothing that was substantial. We sold that house for $40,000 over what we purchased it for in a year and a half. And we didn't really do anything to it. Again, nothing that was like oh my gosh, this is making the value of this house go up. We didn't do anything. That's just the market here in Boise. The second home that we purchased, um, we lived in for a little over a year. And that home, I believe it was about $30,000 over... Sold for $30,000 over what we purchased it for. We did do a bathroom remodel, but when they do the appraisal, they're just going like on the outside. They're not going inside to see what you're doing to it. But again, this is just based upon the value of houses in the market in Boise and in Idaho. So searching for a home. And this time around, so that my third time purchasing a home, the first time on my own, new builds that weren't even in production, I was you know looking at those on Zillow and things like that, um, over the course of a few weeks, there was one that I was particularly interested in. And while I, I had already selected a home for myself, I was like, oh, I just want to go back and see what this new build is going for the price on that home to build it increased by $7,000 in a few weeks. And for nothing, like nothing <laughs> that they were listing had changed. Again, they hadn't even started on it, but yet they could increase the price by $7,000. And you know why? Is because people will pay for it. They will absolutely pay for it. So when I began the process in August to um, search for a home and get going. I knew I was going to use the same realtor we had used twice before. Um, but this time, I used a different lender. I always love working with our realtor. like She has always had super um, great communication and um, really willing to work with us. And we really built a relationship with her, but also probably because we bought and sold more frequently, I think, than people typically do. Um, you know, in what, not even three or four years we had bought and sold twice um, with her before and so then this is you know my third time around with her so we definitely had established a relationship um, with that real collectively as a married couple at the time and then individually as we went our own ways so I figured using the same realtor, the process was going to be the same. You know, I knew what to expect from her. Um, but using a different lender is where things got a bit frustrating for me. So our realtor had suggested a local lender, which is totally fine. You know, I learned that through my ex-hus- my ex husband's home purchasing process. Um, as he went on to his own place after we sold our last home after our divorce, he used the local lender, and he said that they saved him thousands. Of dollars, so I was like, Oh, well, obviously, I'm gonna want to use that same lender as well and just see what happens. So, there were some frustrating moments where um, it was kind of like every time I turned around, something else wasn't right. So, when you first apply for a loan, you know, you get the um, I believe it's I can't remember if it's called the initial or the first approval um, to see how much you're approved for. So, the top line price for a home that you can purchase or that you're eligible to purchase based upon your income and current debts and things like that. And then also an estimated interest rate in addition to, um, you know, starting to get quotes for homeowners insurance and things like that. So my initial quote, um, you know, I saw what I was going to be able to purchase. Okay, great. So I started looking at homes within a certain price point found the home that I really really liked and um, I definitely wanted to move forward with it so that's when things started to like go 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 so you go from that initial um, loan estimate to okay this is the house that I want Um, this is how much it costs let's see that you know our numbers are right to get the best because my based upon my credit score I would be eligible for the best available interest rate which is really crazy um, low right now because because while people think that the economy is doing well it's not there's a pandemic um and people aren't borrowing money like they used to because they're not spending because you don't really because a lot of people are impacted and not having even the income that they used to so interest rates are low because they want people to borrow um because otherwise they're not borrowing supply and demand right so anyway my um, excellent credit score and level of income allows me to get the best interest rate available. Fantastic. So then that changed the numbers and the numbers were lower. And I noticed that maybe there was something missing um, from that initial approval to what came through for um, applying the numbers for the home that I was purchasing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this looks great at first. I'm like, wow, like this is super affordable, like even more so than I thought it was going to be. And I just asked the question. I said, "Hey, you know, this looks fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, I noticed that this was here on the first one, but now on this one it's not there, which is great. Is this right?" And then I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't have asked that. But I could be surprised now or I could be surprised later at closing. So come to find out um, there was a portion missing on the, um, I guess, official um, loan breakdown or, you know, mortgage breakdown that did not include something that should have been there. And so that bumped my monthly mortgage payment up by like $130. And I was like, wow, okay, that's not great, but it's still affordable, you know, still under where I thought, you know. I was gonna be. So then, as we get closer to closing, you know, I you submit all of these documents and um, pay stubs and um, transaction histories and all of these things. Um, and so we're about a week and a half out from closing at this point, and I knew the money that I needed to bring um, outside of what I had already put down for a down payment. The money that I needed to bring to closing, um, I was budgeting for, so I'm I'm good to go. I'm gonna have that money. I'm you know everything's good. So a week and a half before closing, I get a call from somebody else at the lender's office. And uh, while I had them on the phone, they just needed some clarification on a couple of documents like my divorce decree and things like that. And so I'm like, no big deal. And So I said, while I have you, I do have a question about what it means with this cash to close. Because again, with Veterans United, we did not have to bring cash to close. That wasn't part of a requirement um, based upon how our um how our loan was set up and then also what was negotiated with the sellers during the contract process or during the offer process so i thought that you would bring physical cash to close right maybe not physical cash, like I'm not walking in with thousands of dollars and just going to start making it rain. But at the very least, I thought maybe I would bring a check or um, get a money order or whatever the case may be. So this part was really important for me because the day that I was scheduled to close was also the day that I got paid. And I needed the funds from my paycheck to get that last little bit that um, to add to what I had already been saving up for my cash to close. And so when I, when this person contacted me from the lender's office and I asked, I was like, well, how does that work? So we talked about it, um, and come to find out you don't actually bring cash to closing. I didn't know this. So what they do is do an account check several business days before closing. And that's when, um, The underwriter will determine whether or not you can you know actually get the loan based upon the funds that are in your account and whatever you need to close and um, then also um, that's when the title company so the title company does more of like the transfer of the funds basically um, from the seller to the buyer and things like that and um, that's when they initiate they ask for the wire transfer to be done And I was frustrated because I was like, well, I didn't know that you didn't actually bring money to closing that that's not cash to close. That's like cash before closing (laughs) to me anyway, like that it didn't compute for me. And whether I missed a memo somewhere, I don't know, but I, you know, I, I try and be as thorough as possible. Um, especially with purchasing a home. I mean, it's a big purchase. Um, and it's not something, I, you know, I'm taking lightly. So I wanted to make sure that um, I had done all this research on a bunch of different things um, because I just was curious, you know, I'm curious to see what I got with my conventional loan. And then I started going down a wormhole and learned all this other stuff. Anyway, so in talking to this individual, I, I expressed my concerns because, again, I needed the funds from my paycheck the day of closing to have that last little bit that I needed. So I figure I had a, I had another plan in place, um, but I had to run it by the lender and the underwriter to see if I would even be allowed to. Um, do, it turned out they they weren't going to approve of what my alternative was. And I didn't want to delay closing because, again, this is a seller's market. Um, if I delayed closing and you know I sort of defaulted in the contract in that sense because you have a certain amount of time to close by, I didn't want to lose the house, especially because it was like perfect for what I was looking for. So um, my alternative was denied. And then I was kind of frustrated because then that changed my loan because that was less down payment or less you know, cash provided before closing, um, which then increased my interest rate. Um, it wasn't too horrible for the increase, but it certainly wasn't desirable um, for what happened. So um, I certainly wasn't thrilled about that. So then the Friday before Monday, I was scheduled to close. I get a call from my lender again. Um, at this point, you know, I'd already gone through three disappointing parts of,, um, the numbers being wrong after selecting the correct home, then the other person telling me cash to close is sooner than closing date, um, then having to change my loan. And so at this point, I'm kind of like on edge. What else do they need from me? What else is going to come up? So evidently the underwriter had an issue with my divorce documents that I provided, which seems so silly and so insignificant. Um their complaint was that the divorce documents looked like they were like there was a part that was whited out. And I was like really kind of taken aback by this because, again, my ex-husband used this same lender. And at the time that he was purchasing his home, he would have used the same divorce documents and submitted the same divorce documents. And he didn't have this issue. So I had to write a letter to say, I when I went to file for divorce, there is an office within, you know, the court that assists with filling out the documents just to make sure that you did it correctly and there are some parts that were done wrong and so there had to be whiteout. out. And while this seems silly and seems kind of stupid, it was like to me it didn't make sense that they didn't bring this up with my ex husband, but then how is this brought up with me? And so then my mind starts going to, you know, back in the day with uh, redlining and um, not approving Black people for for loans that they are e- eligible to obtain. Um, and so it, I started to feel like they were f- trying to find a way for me not to be able to purchase this home. Is that actually the case? I'm not sure, but it just felt like. Again, every time I turned around, there was something else, and it made me start to distrust this process. So I submit that everything's good to go come Saturday. Fantastic. Monday rolls around. I was already scheduled to close at, let's say, I think it was 1130. About two hours prior, my realtor reaches out to me and says, hey, we need to push closing back until the afternoon. That's kind of frustrating. But okay, um, I guess the lender needed more time. 1.30 rolls around for my two o'clock closing appointment and I get a call from the lender again. And they go, hi, Donna, how are you? And I said, I don't know, you tell me. Because <laughs> I'm so like, I'm just about to head over to title so I can go close. Guess what happened? They were off on their numbers by $800. So this was $800 more that I had to bring to closing, and I was floored. I was like, that's fine because I have the money, but it's not great because I also had to purchase a refrigerator and a washer and a dryer, so this is less money that I'm going to have to be able to put towards that, right? And these are things that I couldn't wait for. So the lender apologized. I said, you know, I I know... Y'all are, you know, doing what you can and things like that, and I do appreciate the help. It just, I mean, it's disappointing, right? No one's gonna be thrilled to know thirty minutes before they go do something that they need to bring eight hundred dollars, more than eight hundred dollars, um, in addition to what they already have provided. And so then I was frustrated too because. If I have to bring $800, you know, I have to wire over $800 to the title company, which I found out wires are super quick. It only takes about 30 minutes for the initiation and to completion. Um, I could have kept my original loan. So again, that was the day that I was getting paid. I had the additional funds. I was going to make it work just fine. Um, But to them, that wasn't satisfactory. So really, I could have kept my initial loan because here I wired so much money to the title company in 30 minutes and was still able to close and they funded and recorded that day so it didn't make sense that all this upheaval of increasing my interest rate and all of this stuff happened when it didn't need to which was incredibly frustrating um and it just I mean through this lender the home purchasing process was definitely soured in comparison to what it was in previous years no doubt. And again, you know, they did apologize and, you know, the lender felt bad. And so they ended up sending um, a nice gift card in the mail and um, for, you know, the issues. And so I appreciated that. Um, But still, like, it doesn't necessarily make up for all of these issues that happened along the way. I wanted to share this experience with you all because I thought it was important um, to share, just kind of, you know, having this new space, which again, I'm so excited about and I absolutely love. Um, It's really a place that I can make my own. I've already started to paint Gray's room, which has been fun. Um, I've got a spare room um, in the back that I have painted as well, which is going to be like this kind of office and play space. And then I'll be able to really just kind of put my imprint on this home and make it more me and make it so comfortable, um, a comfortable place to be. There's this elementary school nearby with several parks that Gray likes to go to and um, he's already made some friends in the neighborhood and it's just, I I could not have picked a better place to be. Like This really is it and I'm glad that um, I've been afforded the opportunity to be able to purchase a home on my own and to build some equity in this place. Um, and ultimately, you know, that's important for me, too, because if I can build equity um, in owning a home versus losing it to rent you know you don't necessarily you don't get any of that money back that you're paying with rent but with the way that houses are appreciating here in Boise even if I were to sell you know in a few years or all of my family decided to finally live in one place I could sell and be okay and um, make some money off of this and again building equity that's huge and if you're looking to get into you know purchasing a home you know your, your mortgage lender can talk to you more about what your options are um, for you to evaluate what might suit your needs best and but no you do have options um, if, if home ownership is important to you you can get it done without having to wait especially now when interest rates are so low and that could be beneficial for you if you are in a position to buy and I hope my experience, you know, sharing my experience here as a as a third time home buyer, first time on my own, if that can help anybody in their um, purchasing experience, just to maybe double check and cross check, and you know, make sure that you're asking questions too, and maybe even shop around. I did, you know, reach out to another lender, um, another local lender, with through a professional relationship that I had built um, with via networking in the community, and um, unfortunately, they were undergoing a merger, and it just wasn't a a really good time for them to um, get into, and so it just, it worked out for me to go with the original lender, which is sort of fine, (laughs) and turns out maybe not to be the greatest, but anyway, make sure that you shop around, too, and see what kind of, um, what kind of lender that you want to work with, and, and see what might work best for you. This week for our weekly Faith and Humanity Restored, this is where um, you give back where you can by supporting businesses that incorporate giving from sales to charities or donating directly to the source, a dollar or a share, it all counts. So this week I want to highlight Inclusive Idaho. I mentioned um, this organization earlier as they were instrumental in putting together um, some events that really made me feel included here in Idaho and having community support. So their mission statement says, we believe that inclusion is a solution to societal barriers of belonging and advancement for POC Idahoans, which stands for black, indigenous, or people of color, women, those who are differently labeled, refugees, ETQIA plus individuals, we aim to create a more inclusive Idaho for all Idahoans through advocacy, education, programs, community events, and policy and legislation reform. So again, they were instrumental in you know helping me make this decision, not that they knew it, but um, the events that they put on and just seeing that community support was incredible. So. They their website is inclusiveidaho.org and their Instagram at inclusiveidaho. Again, you know, feel free to donate to the cause um, or even just share their page, give them a follow, a like, whatever the case may be. But I thought it was important to um, highlight them and you know, really making me feel part of this community as well, especially seeing more people that look like me and are like-minded. And the last thing that I want to say is simply be go out and vote, okay? That's all I'm really going to say about it. I know everybody knows that the elections are coming up. It's a really big election, um, presidential election for the Senate. There's so much going on. We really just need to make sure that we're utilizing our rights as U.S. citizens and getting it done. If you can, go early. um, Depending on the state that you're in, you might also be able to register to vote day of. So even if you have moved, for example, in Idaho, you can register in person and vote, Um, just bringing the proper forms of identification and proof of address, those kinds of things. So it can be really simple. It doesn't always have to be difficult, but I uh, know not all states adhere to that. So just check with your state and see, you know, what the rules and things like that are in terms of registering to vote if you have recently moved or if you've never voted before and this is the first time you want to do so, but just need to make sure you have the information on how to do so. So check with your state, see, you know, how voting works for your state and get it done. As always, I appreciate you guys for tuning in and um, I hope you've learned something from this episode. And if you're thinking about you know, purchasing a home and maybe seeing what that venture might look like for you, you can follow the podcast at Real Relatable Podcast on Instagram. And until next time, be sure to keep it real and stay relatable. Bye guys.